The scripture used in today's message is taken from the ninth chapter of Matthew, verses 16 and 17. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. I told you last week that uh, this is going to be a little bit different than normal. I want to have a church family discussion. And again, I, I apologize to the folks who are visiting here for the first Sunday. But uh, you won't be completely left out of this. Uh, you'll know what's going on. Uh, the next time I preach, we will continue the series uh, on Christ fulfilling the purpose of your life. But I told you that when I went on vacation, uh, I had had a lot of time to think about the church. One of the things that spurred the thought was that as I left here, uh, there were uh, some needs for some additional staff people. And I said, well, rather than just uh, um, looking at those specific needs, why don't you all, I talked to the pastors and the elders and, and uh, other people who were concerned, why don't you get... Uh, who you see or the, the, the needs that you see for additional staff and we'll make a list and we'll take a look at the list so that we can see the whole picture. Well, the long and the short of it was uh, I didn't see the list, but I got in just through conversation about 10 suggestions for additional staff. And I, I don't know exactly what happened in me, but something, you know, when something's not quite right, how your spirit just goes, nah, you know. Well, something inside went, And I went away and I prayed about it. And so what I want to ask you to do this morning is I want to ask you to pray for the leadership of this church because I came back and I called together, uh, starting on August 22nd, some leadership meetings of the pastors and the elders and the lay people who are in ministry in this church because I think we're at a crossroads here. Now, let me reassure you that either way we go, we're going to be okay. God is God. He's sovereign. He's started something here that He's going to complete. We don't need to depend on ourselves. We don't need to depend on our own understanding. So therefore, relax. If Christ be for us, who can be against us? You know, we, we've, we've done real, we haven't made any big mistakes so far. And we don't plan on making any. But Will Rogers said one time, you know, even if you're on the right track, you're going to get run over if you just sit there. And so the thing we've got to decide is to where, where to go, how to move on from here. And there are a couple of distinct ways that we can do that joyfully and with confidence. Um, and we can kind of, I know that this is tough for you folks with holiness backgrounds who say dancing, but we can just kind of dance on together. There is a sense in which the church gets so serious about itself that it kind of quenches the spirit. And if you want a... a uh, a scripture reference for that song that we just sang. Um, try Matthew 11, where Jesus says, you know, this generation is like a children sitting in the marketplace. We piped, and they wouldn't dance. We sang a dirge, and they wouldn't mourn. In other words, there weren't any emotions there. They were still, they were just going through the motions. Just going through the motions. There wasn't any heart connection. And so, I want you to know that what we do in the future will do from our heart. 
It'll be, Robert Frost once wrote a poem entitled, A Serious Step Lightly Taken. It'll be a serious step lightly taken. But we've got a big choice here. And I know enough about the leadership of the church to know that this is a crossroads situation. People who know very much about anything know when there is a, um, a big decision and when to be careful. Uh, I once climbed a mountain, one very big mountain, but I climbed a mountain with a quote expert and dim back in my memories, this is when I was a little kid, I remember this guy and thinking, boy, he'd just go right up the side of this thing because it wasn't all that much. And carefully, every step he moved. And I, we got to the top and I said, I thought you were an expert. He said, I am. Been climbing for years. I said, well, then why didn't you just shinny up this thing? He said, son, that's what makes an expert. You know when to be careful. I don't consider myself an expert on church leadership, but I do teach church leadership, or I have taught it, at the local seminary. And I can tell you all the stages of church growth and the different personalities of the church and and what to look out for. But I've got to confess to you this morning, I don't know what Northland's going to be like in two years. I really don't. I know that whatever it is, it's going to be what God makes it. Because that's what we're going to decide. But I have no idea what we're going to be like. No idea. So far, we have clung to each other for dear life. We have gone in the past four years from an average attendance of 300 to over 2,000. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just saying, what next? Now, there are some obvious things when you're growing that fast that you got to do. Because there are some things that, that are very apparent. Uh, kids, people want their kids taken care of when they come to church. People want to look forward to a fantastic youth program. People want to know that there's adult education. People want to know that uh, somehow the, the, the church office is going to be able to manage the daily business of the church and so on and so forth. So there's, there's always the basics. But you know what? We've got the basics now. We've got the basics. Now comes a decision, where do we go from here? Because most large churches put it on cruise control from here. And that's what we could do. Honestly, we could. We could just... You know, the money's coming in fine, and we could hire more staff as we grow, and let the staff do the ministry of the church. We can do that. But that's not the character of this church. It wasn't what I came to. First of all, let me tell you, just biblically speaking, what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray in accordance with 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8. Let me read that to you. You can turn to it so that you can see it. I want to point out a couple of things to you. In lieu of the leadership meetings we're going to be having, I want you to pray. We're going to be uh, meeting, the first one's going to be on August 22nd. And they're going to be be a continual conversation where to go from here. I want you to pray for that leadership. It's commanded in Scripture that we pray for our leadership. First of all, I urge entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings, and look at this, all who are in authority. That includes the church. In order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. You see, these people just want to lead a normal, godly life in their everyday world. And so we pray not only for the civil authorities that will be able to do that, but also for the church authorities that will be able to do that. Now I'll explain that in just a minute. But look at what else it says. It says 
This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now listen to this. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. One mediator. The man, Christ Jesus. The mediator is the one who connects us, right? The one who stands in the middle. Now I want you to remember that. There's only one mediator between us and God. And that's Jesus. Now, let me tell you the character of the institutional church. And this is what we are fighting again if you, against. If you want to put it on the level of spiritual warfare, and I believe that's exactly where it is. I woke up at 1.50 this morning, and I was so troubled in my spirit. I just got up and came down to church, and I've been praying since 2.30 or 3 in the morning, this morning for this message. I just am that impacted by this. Well... I believe that the institutional church was set about by God. I believe that Jesus saw it when he looked at Peter in the confession of Peter, and he says, on you I'll build my church. There was the vision. I believe that um, it's mentioned all through the New Testament. The development of it is mentioned in Acts 6, where they say, well, let's have the elders pray and and have a ministry of the word, and let's have the deacons minister the, the physical goods to the people that need it. It's mentioned in uh, Titus chapter 1 where it says appoint elders in every city. It's mentioned in Ephesians where it talks about the division of the gifts and how some enable the ministry of the saints. That's you. Okay? We give these gifts so that the saints may be the ministry. Do the work of the ministry. That's you all. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 when it talks about spiritual gifts and how they're to work together in the church. It's mentioned in... Uh, uh, Matthew 18, where it talks about the discipline of the church so that we can have purity in the church and we can have uh, stability in the church. See? All through, there is the mirror of the institutional church. But you know what? Satan always has a little hook, a little perversion, a little imitation, a little counterfeit that we can go off on. And I believe that's the spirit of institutionalism. I believe that's when the church gets so organized, it chokes the Spirit. It quenches the Spirit. And I believe that all churches are liable to this Spirit, including us. This was mentioned when Jesus told the parable about the wineskins and the wine, how the wineskins, the containers, just got so rigid they couldn't expand with what was inside of them, so they broke. That's how church splits happen, by the way. It's also mentioned in Mark 7 where Jesus is looking at the Pharisees. You know, the song says, I, I, I piped for the Pharisees and danced for them, but they wouldn't follow me. Jesus looks at him and says, look, tell you what. You have made void the counsel of God for the precepts of men. You've got these little traditions you think are so important. They're not the commandments of God. You're just teaching your own traditions. You see, there is a, there is a part of us that wants to build up the institutional church as the mediator between God and men. Remember those old mafia movies where they used to go in to these little shop guys and sell them insurance? Insurance against what? Oh, insurance against bad things that could happen to you. Well, okay, I'll pay. What was the bad things that could happen to them? The mafia guys. The church does the same thing. It makes people try, I'm sorry, it, it tries to make people dependent on the institutional church for their religiosity. 
You know, it happens every time a church takes what was supposed to be a small letter and makes it a capital letter. That happened in Catholicism. Catholicism, Catholic, means universal, church universal. And when it became a capital C, what happened was the church said, you need us, you can't get to God without us. You've got to come through a priest, you've got to go through a saint, you can't just go up to God through Jesus Christ, you haven't got that kind of access. And the church tried to say, you have to have us in order to get to God. Do you know what? There are Protestant churches that are more Catholic than Catholic churches. Now, please, please, before I go on, let me let me say this. There are Catholics who are Christians, just like there are Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians who are Christians. Please don't get that run off with that stereotype. There are people who have a personal relationship with the Lord, all right? But let me tell you how Protestants do it. Protestants are a little sneakier about it. Protestants do it. Let me tell you how Protestants preachers do it. I heard... Uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, Protestant preachers, James Montgomery Boyce, give a talk one time. And to me, he missed two giant points in that talk. He was railing against the, uh, you know, the entertainment in today's pulpits and instead of preaching the expositional sermon, you know. Well, I kind of like that. I kind of like how people scowl and get their face all twisted up. It's kind of entertaining to me, personally. The two points that he missed was the theology. He didn't have an adequate theology of what entertainment is because entertainment is simply taking you from one world and helping you to live in another world for a while. And entertainment, in a good way, is helping you to see a deeper truth by living in another world than you already live in, taking you from the, the secular world to the sacred world, so to speak. Although that's, that's not a good analogy. I'll, talk, I'll explain that later. But the second thing he missed was this. When all preachers do is get up here and explain to you the scripture. And we pull out the Greek, and we pull out the Hebrew, and we pull out all of the research we've done. Do you know that the effect that has on you? If you hear that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, pretty soon you start to think, I can't understand this Bible. I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I don't know how to research those things. Those guys understand the Bible. I don't understand it. I can't read it. You see what we've just done? We've offered you fire insurance through us. We've said you need a preacher in order to understand the Bible, and that's a lie from the pit. You know what you need to understand the Bible? Jesus Christ living in your heart, because then you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches you about what's in the Bible. See? We do, it this, we do the same thing when we say, if you've got a problem, you've got to go run into a preacher. They'll, they'll help you. They know. Let me tell you something about preachers. They don't know. They don't know any more than you do. The best thing a preacher can do for you or a staff counselor or anything is point you to the Bible and point you back to prayer so that you can get your reassurance from God. And that is where the answer is. It's not with us. Good heavens. If you knew... How stupid we are about life. And not only that, but even if preachers were always accessible to you, we are, we're clay. You know, one of the best friends I have, I got some, some buddies from my old past church here this morning. One of the best friends I had in ministry had a breakdown of sorts. And when he had a breakdown, I absolutely froze emotionally. I utterly failed that man. 
because I was so, I felt so close to him in friendship, I didn't do him any good. Listen, don't depend on a preacher. That's not how God's designed us. You can be encouraged, you can be strengthened, you can be enabled by the work of the church. And hopefully a good church will, will, will get you enthusiastic about getting into the Word. Hopefully, strong preaching, and I'm, I'm, I, I won't even hit my prime for another 10 or 20 years. You haven't heard anything yet. Hopefully, preaching gets stronger and stronger and stronger, but you don't begin to think of it because you get strong preaching. Boy, I can never understand the Scriptures like Hunter does. Because you've got the same equipment I do. And that's the Holy Spirit. You know what? When I was a little kid, there was a cute little girl that was visiting a house across the way. She was an absolute doll. And of course, I was at the age where I just was real interested. And I didn't know how to meet her. I've never been a, you know, one of these kind of... So I just kept riding my bike up and down the street. Finally, you remember that? So she comes out. She says... Well, that's a nice bike. I go, Aah! She said, I'd like to learn how to ride a bike. I don't know. I said, you don't know how to ride a bike? Well, by this time it was dark. You know, I was sweaty. I'd been riding up and down the street all day. She said, no, my auntie has one, and I could probably borrow that bike. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll meet you here at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'll teach you how to ride a bike. She goes, thank you. I'd like that. And I'm thinking, no, I would too. Well, I went back in. And, and I was, you know, I was a late sleeper. That's why I made it at 11 o'clock. But I, I went to bed that night and pictured myself running up and down the street with that girl. Ooh, man, I couldn't wait. She was gorgeous and I was going to teach her how to ride a bike. I laid awake till 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. And I overslept. <laughs> By the time I got there, she was nowhere to be found. I kept looking around the yard. I kept looking. I kept looking. And I hear this, whee! And I look out in the street, and here she comes on this bicycle, pigtails flying back in the wind, big grin on her face. She pulls up to me, and she says, You weren't here, so I learned without you. You know what? If we don't make it there in time to teach you, you'll learn without us. God's got a plan for your life. It's not going to be frustrated because you didn't get the right teaching at the right time from the right person. All right? You need to remember that God is the one who is in control. So, where does this boil down to? Well, let me tell you about the character of this church and how this church started out. When I left the people that I loved dearly in my last congregation, they were my family. There was no reason for me to leave. Except... I felt that we had gotten to a place. I mean, we'd grown like crazy, kind of like this place, only we were only about half as big as we are right now. But we'd grown, and that was a big, it was a big church for a Methodist church in the Midwest. You know, Methodist churches in the Midwest don't get that big. So, but when I left, we were, I think, the second largest United Methodist church in the state of Indiana as far as Sunday morning attendance. Everything was going great. We had staff, fantastic staff, loved them like crazy. But we had, we had grown in a way that the traditional church grows. And that is the pastor's on a little pedestal. See? Let me tell you something. That's a real dangerous place to stand. 
And I was feeling it. And, and, and the church was kind of on cruise control. Everything was going great. And the, ch- the challenge was not being put forth by the congregation, partly because I was afraid. I was afraid to risk the success of that congregation and the f- battles that I would have to fight with the denomination and with the success that we'd had. You know, when you don't have anything, you risk everything. <laughs> when you have everything, you don't risk anything. And that's where we were. So I know why God called me down here. I needed to get off that pedestal. And I needed to risk everything to make sure that I would still follow him anywhere. Well, when I first got down here, the the, the reputation of this place was that it had very strong, biblically literate lay people. And I said, that's great, you know. I don't know what God's going to do with us, but we'll do it together. And when I got down here... The elders, the, lay, the, 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 the elders were the ones that did the baptizing and the dedicating. When I got down here, our first, we still laugh about this. The first elders meeting we went to, they were, they were, they were given off a list of what they had accomplished during the year. And we were right about in the middle of that list, right in between, we got most of the rats killed and we painted the bathrooms. That's about where we ranked, you know. Well, we got a, most of the rats killed, got a new pastor, painted the bathrooms, and went on down, you know, threw off the tires, you know. Well, to Beck and I, that was hilarious, you know. We were, it was so refreshing, you know, to walk in a room and be nobody. It was really something. There was another incident that I remember very well. I don't know if JT's here this morning, or he'll be here maybe here next service, but, but I remember being at a meeting. And I was a new pastor on the block, and we were all standing around. Well, it was time to pray. It's always time to pray in a meeting. And he turns to him and he says, Well, Joel, you're the new pastor. You pray. And my response was, No. Not going to pray. Well, everybody kind of stood there with their face hanging out. Oh, great. We hired a pastor who can't pray. <laughs> and I said, I did not come down here to pray instead of you praying. You pray. See how it started out. <laughs> but for expediency's sake, you know, as we've gone along, we've gone at such a whirlwind pace. Every time somebody asks me to pray, oh, yeah, okay, see? And we don't take the time and the effort that it takes to make sure that you are growing up in Christ, that you are doing the work of the ministry of the church, that you're being called. You know what? This week has been a wonderful week for this church. The camp experience is a microcosm of what the church can be. When, you, when you're in leadership, there's a leadership diamond that uh, is, is a, a very appropriate thing to look to. It's, it's uh, been proven that if you can picture a diamond, okay? Now cut the diamond in half diagonally. If you put a dot in the middle of that top triangle you will see the most influence you can have on people's lives. As people are just behind you, you have a wider influence on their lives. If they're just ahead of you, then you don't have quite so many people that you influence. But those people just behind you, 
you influence a lot of them. And then as they get more, they picture themselves more and more behind you, there are fewer and fewer who will follow your leadership because they figure you're too far ahead. Guess what happened this week in camp? Kids got saved all over the place. Guess how many pastors we had doing that? Zero. Guess who was doing it? Guess who was leading those kids to the Lord? Other kids. The 15-year-olds, the 17-year-olds, and so on and so forth were leading the 12-year-olds and the 10-year-olds and the 8-year-olds to the Lord. That's how it ought to work. I know that everybody says, Well, pastor can do that better than I can. No, he can't. Because if you look at that leadership diamond, I can't walk into those circles and say, Billy, by your head, Jesus is coming in. You know? But they look at, you know, some high school kid and go, Wow! You mean you believe in Jesus? And then, boom, something happens in their heart. That's how God's designed us. He's designed us to take somebody who is just a little bit back from where we are spiritually and influence those lives. And so, therefore, if we go on just automatically hiring more staff and saying, well, the ministry really gets done here by the staff, guess who's not going to be one? Most people. (laughs) It is so important, so important that you look at your ministry And what God wants to lead you to in that ministry. And you know what? Most of it will not be in the church. Most of your ministry is not going to be. Now there may be 10, maybe 15% of you who are called to work in the church. And bless your heart, that's great. Sunday school teachers are my heroes. They are my heroes. Mrs. Nix was the Sunday school teacher for both my boys, and they idolized her. I mean, they were crazy nuts in love with her. They will never be the same because she was their Sunday school teacher. Sunday school teachers are my heroes. There's lots of places in the church to work. But you know what? You don't live in the church. You live out there. And unless you can figure out What God wants you to do in ministry as far as the world goes, you haven't got half the faith. God wants you to know it doesn't matter how many people a church seats. It only matters how many people a church sends. That's the important part. What can you do in the world? And let me tell you something else while I'm at it. How much time we got? I'm running out of time, I know. But listen to this. Let's get off this Northland rah-rah stuff. Every once in a while I hear, well, Northland, you know. I know that, you know, over here you go get healed and over here you go get saved, but Northland is a church of wisdom and maturity. Well, we'd love to be a church of wisdom and maturity. But we won't be wise and we won't be mature until we realize we're all in this together. We are all in this together. As a matter of fact, I'd like to suggest something to you. I'd like to suggest one weekend out of the month you visit another church. And I'd like to suggest that you pray for the church you visit. I'd like to suggest, as a matter of fact, but I have apoplexy about this, that you give what you are going to give here to that church. Why? Because where your treasures are, there's your heart. That will affect your prayer life and give you an interest and an investment in that church. You know why we need to do that? so that we can realize we're all in this thing together. 
and we can have a world mentality instead of a local church mentality. And we realize that that's where ministry happens as well as this. It is so important that you pray for the leadership of this church. It is so important that you realize that even if we were the best local church, if we did everything, you know, if we welcomed visitors, if we discipled people, if we, if we, you know, had great home groups and all of that kind of stuff, but all of the ministry stayed in this church, it would still be a very narrow victory for God. Lily Tomlin once said, you know, the trouble with the rat race is, even if you win, you're still a rat. The, tr- the trouble... You can get anywhere, you can get scripture quoted anywhere, but who's going to quote Lily Tomlin in a sermon? The trouble with trying to be the best local church is even if you can do it, you're still just a local church. God's got a thousand local churches and he loves his family to gather into local churches. But that's not the point. God's got a whole lot of people to call into his family. God's got a whole lot of broken hearts to mend that I'll never know about. and Nobody on this staff will know about, but you know about them. And so you're the person he wants to mature. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you love to sit down with Scripture and have the confidence that you could understand what God was saying to you through that Scripture? And that that is where your faith was instead of on a pastor who may or may not be there? Wouldn't you love to have the sense that if I pray... I'll be able to hear what God has for me. That will only come at the cost of being discipled. It will only come at the cost of reading. It will only come at the cost of deciding I am no longer going to be of the consumer religion mentality. Now, we have an opportunity to shift into another gear. We've done everything fine, and we've done everything good, and we could go on here at a normal cruise control pace and just be another big church. I personally don't want to go that direction. I'd love to experiment. I'd love to say, look, we may, we may be back to 300 in another four years, but the 300 we have will know how to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I'd love to see. So would you pray for the church leadership that they could hear God and that they could figure out how to get there? And if you have ideas, if something comes to you in your prayer life, would you write it down maybe on that sermon notes page or whatever and put it in the offering box? That's a great offering to give to the Lord. Is what would really make you effective in your maturity, in your ministry for Christ. Okay? Now, let me pray for us. And before I pray, let me tell you, I realize that this subject does not ordinarily give itself to making a commitment to Jesus Christ unless I've said something this morning that you may have always wanted. Unless I've said something about about forming a relationship with God and being able to relate to Him directly, you never thought you could do that. You can do that. You've got to invite Jesus into your life. That's the first step, but you can do it. Let us pray for you right now, and then we'll all pray for the upcoming meetings and the leadership. God, thank you that there is no mediator but Jesus.
thank you that even though the, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, the spirit is still willing. <laughs> thank you that you have given us a church family to love. Thank you that I don't have to preach answers every Sunday. Sometimes I can preach questions knowing that you've got an answer, but it's only one that we can all find together. Thank you that there are people in here today who have been hungry spiritually. Your spirit has been drawing them, and they have wanted to have a commitment to you, and today is the day. And they will pray, Lord Jesus, I have lived separately from you. I have sinned. And I have fallen short. I accept your sacrifice for my sins, your payment, your substitution. And I invite you to come and live in my life and make of it whatever you want. And for the rest of us that already have Jesus living in our hearts, teach us how to dance. I mean, how to go down this journey with joy and love, and trust. We don't know where we're going. (laughs) But we do know that if we listen, we will be exactly where you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.